0: Today, I am joined by American Samoan Tenor Fatu Susu who holds a Master of Music and Performance Certificate from the USC Thornton School of Music, where we met. He was recently featured in Fort Worth Opera's virtual online masterclass, and he is a current student of Sherry Greenewald. Fatu and I talk about how he stays connected to his creativity and how the virtual reality of the pandemic sparked some fascinating self-discovery about his relationship and perception of his own body. Um, We talk about body positivity, embracing yourself as you are, and how Fatu learned that um, improving his relationship to his self-image and his body image would actually change his voice and his singing operatic voice. Fatu also shares what he learned about the time he stepped away from music after losing his parents and the journey towards reconnecting with his creativity after experiencing great personal loss. Hi, Justin! Hello, Julia! How are you? <laughs> I'm good! How are you? Uh,
1: you know, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing well.
0: So we went to school together, and you sang some of my music, and we got to work together, and that was I did. really fun.
1: You made me my first villain. I was the villain.
0: Your first villain, really?
1: I was my first villain, yeah.
0: I guess tenors aren't villains very often.
1: I know, which is not fun. i <laughs> much prefer to be a villain than someone who's in love.
0: <laughs> I'd just love to hear, how are you? How are you doing? What has this time been like?
1: Yeah, you know, it's been an interesting, an interesting time. So I had finally, after all the academia that I, I feel like I was in school forever, um, I finally booked like a full solid season of performing. And then it was just boop. Like most people, it was gone. Yeah. Uh, so the beginning of March, I was I had come home because I was getting ready to leave to go to Europe actually to sing a few concerts, which was pretty exciting. But then that never happened. So I got was home and the first few weeks of the pandemic, I think almost a solid month into it, I had turned off completely. There was nothing artistic happening, creative outlet, nothing. Because I just I didn't have it in me to do anything. I felt there's so many, I've seen so many people who've had similar happenings, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic where you're just like, is this ever going to end? And here we are, you know, in September now, (laughs) and we're still asking the same question. Is this ever going to end? When's it going to end? Um, But much like when I gave up music in my early 20s and it came back to me um, after, you know, some tragedies in my life, um, there's just somehow the creative side of me found its way back. Uh so I like, um, as you know, I kind of did wake up one morning was like, "Oh man, I am really exhausted, like, just physically, mentally, spiritually, all of these things, and something's missing. And it was just, I'm a very creative person, there's a lot of creativity inside of me. And it wasn't, it was just all bottled up and pushed down and yeah. nothing was happening. And so I was like, you know what, let me, let me, let me sing. So I started singing, I started doing like this. Silly little bedroom karaoke thing because I was just singing random songs. I had like no direction, nothing. I didn't even know if I was going to be, you know, still pursuing music at this point. You know, who knew? Who knows? And what was going to happen at that time? And so I just randomly saw a friend that I met when I was an undergrad. She's a uh, metropolitan singer, metropolitan opera singer offering free coachings. And I was like, oh, people are doing that. Okay. You know, why not? I'll try it. And so I did it and then one thing left another and then I just started singing more and more two to three times a week with different coaches every week. Um, And that's how the the singing um, stayed active. It came back and it stayed active. And then I was like, you know, there's just something else. When you're left in a pandemic with just yourself and only yourself and your thoughts, you have no outside influences really happening. So you're left with all of this, uh, you know, alone time. So uh, a lot of... Dissecting happened of you know, I really do have a lot of self-conscious thoughts about what I look like when I'm singing, what I look like in front of a camera because now I'm in front of a camera all the right. time. And I've always been a very confident person, but so, um, but sometimes that confidence can be misleading where sure. you you put up a lot of that confidence to hide any kind of insecurities you have i started getting a little little not like i don't suffer from a lot of anxiety and panic things but i started feeling that that energy and i was like i this is really strange for me i thought i thought i was like very confident human being and then i came to this point where it's like but i reverted back to this like childhood thought of well i'm a guy we're not supposed to have issues like this we're not supposed to have (laughs) self-conscious issues about our body and what we look like you know it's not something that's put forward Samoan people they're just always big you know it's not anything they've ever really had an issue with um they tend to make fun of themselves a lot because of it um and so I grew up with that always making fun of yourself because you were big um and so I have always grown up with that like I'm going to tell the fat joke so somebody else doesn't say it before me um, so that's kind of I think that's kind of how a lot of us have grown up. We just we've always made fun of you know the, our size um, because humor is just a good way to deflect a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So and growing up, Samoan, you just kind of you know everyone makes fun of being big. Everyone makes fun of being big, blah blah blah. Um, but you're not supposed to be. Um, so I remember when I was younger, talking to a cousin of mine, asking you know I was like, oh, "Am I too fat?" And they're like, "What does it matter? That's a girl's problem." <laughs> literally with the exact words and that stuck with me so yeah. i never really verbalized my own um from a young child my own uh, insecurities about my size i mean especially if you're a gay man okay you know they they said we you know the community sets up these unrealistic standards um that women have been dealing with forever. And then we're placed in these subcategories in the community. And then I, I'm guilty of falling into that where you're just like... That ideal is like, okay, I guess that's the, that's the type of gay man that I need to be. Um, And then realizing that pff, even if I wanted to look... like I, My body would never do that. This camera and being coaching on Zoom and coaching on Zoom is what made me realize that I was that self-conscious.
0: Wow, yeah.
1: And, and I was like, good grief. And so... You know, I was just like... <sighs> I went to bed feeling very defeated. This is about, like, two or three months into the pandemic. And then woke up and I was like, you know, I am I miss getting dressed. <laughs> I miss getting dressed. And so I decided to put on some clothes. And I was like... And this is where this new hobby started. And I picked up, you know, had... One of the people that lives here is a 12-year-old. and He's, like, my little brother. And I was like, hey you're free labor you're don't <laughs> you're in the yeah.
0: house <laughs> you're, um, 12. Yeah.
1: you're 12 and so here's my phone just take a photo of me and i was actually wearing this exact shirt which is why i wore it today um oh. but i was wearing this exact shirt for that photo and he took it and it was like one shot and i was like oh, wow that looks really good and it was the first time and i kid you not in my 34 years of living that i looked at a photo and was like wow i'm cute <laughs> that's nice like I, 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 crazy as that sounds like 30, that was the first time when I was like oh okay, that is so then one thing left another I had all these clothes in my closet that weren't being worn right. and I was like so I decided you know what I want something else to do so every morning I woke up we had 9.30am every morning I woke up and got ready to put a different outfit on and we walked around the house the front and inside outside and just started taking photos and one thing left to another and I just you know, this whole, I just embraced my, my big and tall, being six foot five and, you know, Polynesian. And it's just, it's been so exhilarating and it's really transferred into my own music making because now I've fully accepted what my voice is and what it can do. And I think that comes from also fully accepting me, just me and what I look like and what I am, what I have to offer. It's not even, it's more than what I look like. It's just my whole being and what I can offer it's just such a strange uh, phenomenon that happened internally for me in the midst of all these pandemics that are happening in this, you know, this country and the world and all of these things. Um, And so, you know, I saw there's all these things. I was like, I don't know, you know, how do I help this? How do I help that? What do I, how do I, you know? And so I found just, I had to help me first and fix whatever things were going on with me so that I am my best version. So therefore you know, these other things, these outside things that are happening to our country and to the world um, and to, you know, our friends and family around the world um, that I could be a better human, <laughs> you know, yeah. so. that's amazing. But yeah, so then developed, uh, you know, uh, I call it my pretend, my COVID modeling career. <laughs> um, so- <laughs> which has been fantastic. A really great, you know, big and tall, like subscription company sent me some clothes and we're like, hey, we love what you've We love what you been posting. Here's some, try these clothes on, see if you like them. And so I've been posting in their clothing and it's just been, it's just been a hoot and I couldn't be having, you know, more fun with it. And I think the key to it is I'm just not taking it that seriously. It's just, it's just fun. Like if one person likes it, great. If nobody likes it, great. Right. And it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Eventually, I'm like, I'm going to probably run out of clothes, um, which I have already. I just have to start <laughs> putting them together different ways. You know, I've got messages from other, other men have messaged me that I didn't know. And they're like, wow, your post is really inspirational. And, you know, if there's one person out there that you've helped have a better day, then that's just in this current world that we live in, this current country that we live in, and all the fears we have, that's just more than I could ask for.
0: I, I mean, I'd love to hear kind of how your modeling has informed your understanding of your voice. And I mean, you have a large voice. It's... Yeah. <laughs> would you say that's true?
1: Yes. And actually, it's one... It's only something maybe in the last year that I've accepted. Okay. As weird as that sounds.
0: Can you talk a little bit... Like, why is... Was that hard sure. to accept?
1: It was because I thought for the longest time, you know... and. And unfortunately, I blame a little bit of that on academia. Not necessarily a specific institution, just... Yeah. academia in general um especially here in this country we th- there's so much pressure put on you to you know do x y and z you know so robotically like almost to an expert level that we lose the artistry and we lose our own sense of our sound and our voice um and we get, we allow ourselves to be put into these really small contained boxes because we follow what the instructor who is our instructor and they're told us we have to do this so i'm like oh, okay then that's what i have to do because right. you know you're the all yeah. sane all power so Right. It wasn't until I was truly when I left um, grad school that I started, fi- you know, I did some auditions and I was getting a lot of feedback, like, you know, you know, there's there's a, there's a good sound in there, but what are you singing? Like, it doesn't sound like you're happy. It doesn't sound like your voice is happy in this repertoire. So I was like, oh, no. So then I found a really great teacher at San Francisco Opera and um, she just threw a Wagner piece at me and was like, try it, you know, just try what it feels like. And, you know, personally, I was like, oh, but it's Wagner, Blech. Um But that was per- that was her personal feelings. I, I, you I know, understand. it wasn't necessarily about his music. It was mostly about just yeah. him. Yeah. Um, but, and then I was like, but I sang it and it was Vinterströme from, uh, you know, De Valkyrie. And I was, I was, it was the first time where I felt like, oh, I'm singing. This is, that's good singing. This feels very free open. I started trying things like Peter Grimes and Lenny from Of Mice and Men and, you know, different, you know, other German operas uh, that I was trying to figure out. And I was like, all of this feels good, but something's missing, I'm not sure. And it was just my own acceptance of my voice. So then once I started taking these modeling photos and I was like, ah, I just feel really good. Like these photos make, you know, even taking them, I feel really good. Even if they look, you know, however they look. To me, they could look terrible. Somebody else could think they look terrible. But to my eyes, I'm like, wow, that looks really good. I'm, let's post that one. Um, and so I think my acceptance of my body helped my voice settle. Wow. Because I, I didn't, there was this inner dialogue, I guess, happening. Every time that I sang, I was like, OK, am I, am I too big? To be singing this particular role, and I'm not vocally too big. Am I too big physically to be taken seriously as this, you know, romantic Italian tenor? You know, because of what my vision was, was all these much shorter men than me, and tip, you know, and what you see on the HD cameras that they do for operas—they're much, you know, much thinner man than me as well. <laughs> so I was thinking, okay, am I just too large for this? So once I got through. I started through these these pictures realizing like man i really do enjoy what i look like i really do enjoy my body it's carrying me through a lot in my life so far um it's done a lot of good for me and then then i went to i did a coaching and she was like what why what changed it's just i mean the voice is so forward so resonant and i was like you know i think it's just that i feel my own body and you know singing is a full body thing yeah and the fact that I'm not thinking so much about like okay I gotta hold this here I gotta hold and not hold my voice but like hold my body stand up here make sure this is sucked in here this you know do I look good from this angle and I used to think of all these things while I was in an audition instead of just standing planting my feet breathing and letting it go and just do you enjoy the sound
0: yeah do you think are you saying you were producing physical tension in your body from yes. your thoughts?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I, I, mean, I was holding, like, I was even holding, like, spots in my thighs to, like, hold the muscles there mm-hmm. to try. And then when I just found these, you know, relaxing, and I think it's because I truly do think... That, the correlation was me accepting what yeah. I physically was, that my voice was like, well, now we have a home. We know where we're going. We know what we can do. And then my breath opened up, my breath freed, and the voice got larger. It got much sure. bigger. And then I realized, you know, okay, I have this body, so it can support this voice. So now it made sense to me when I would walk into auditions why people would look so confused when I would sing. I'd be like, yes, I'm here to offer Tambino from Magic Flute. And they are like, Huh? Okay. Can you explain,
0: and, like, for those of us who aren't singers, wh- why is that confusing?
1: I used to walk into auditions, and there is, and I think it's a preconceived idea of what people need sound should sound like in a sure. very specific role. And so I was always working on Mozart stuff, but it never felt good. Okay. The voice never settled well in it. It all, I created so much body tension, tongue tension, all this stuff with it because I, I felt very confined. Mostly, I think that was because I was. In my ear i have a very specific there's a like you know, maybe a lighter sound from a okay. um, tenor that's singing mozart he had might have a lighter maybe not so dark i have a very uh, dark sound but because i in my head i heard a lighter voice i try to sound like those light voices singing it i tried to sound like a juan diego flores when clearly i was not going to ever sound like that because that's his voice not mine And I would have sang that Mozart repertoire with my voice, it would have been something I would have maybe enjoyed it more. Um, But I was trying to sound like somebody that wasn't me or somebody that was even a fraction of the size of me, like physically. Um, And so I just have a—I have a hefty voice and I have a body that supports that sound. So when I would walk into auditions, people saw the body and assumed my sound would be large. And then I produced a much smaller sound because I was containing the sound.
0: Is there always a correlation between body size and voice size
1: not always no sometimes yeah maybe there is uh some correlation that happens between the body and the voice but for me i think i think my body just i think my what everyone refers to as my barrel the chest area Mm -hmm. just look like it would support that type of sound that's needed to carry over um you know wagner orchestra
0: Right. Yeah, I asked that question just to sort of point out that it's not necessarily obvious to a singer that just because your physique is a certain way that your voice is going to match that physique. Right. And a lot of
1: times there's a lot, you know, a lot of if you're big, people assume you're going to have a big voice. And then maybe you don't. And then they're pushing you to have this big, giant voice. And then... You, you know, damage happens or something happens or, you know, vice versa. They you see you and they're like, oh, let's not look at any big stuff yet. Let's only stay in this small stuff. Never let right. you explore. And that's academia, though, for you. So.
0: Well, that's the thing. Like, isn't it true, too, that opera singers don't come into their full mature voice until their 30s? I mean, how, how are you studying? How are you? Why are you being pigeonholed in your early 20s when your voice isn't even mature for another 10 years
1: <laughs> oh good great i mean that is not a loaded question i think it's also the voice some people do have those voices that are settled by the time they're 20 20 you know by the time they're 25 um and there's some that just take longer to cook you know we just spend more time in the oven because we're not quite ready the large the dramatic voices become this rare voice because no one wants to teach them <laughs>
0: Oh, interesting. Okay,
1: that's how, and that's a personal belief that I think yeah. most of us get turned away from it for so long that we end up somewhere else. So there's probably a ton of voices out there that could have had amazing careers if people would have just spent a little bit more time with them and realized that their voices took a few more years in the oven than um, maybe their their comrades or their colleagues did. Yeah, a little silver lining in this whole craziness of 2020 is that. So many people that would never have had the time and day because of their own schedules to listen to me sing. I've got to sing for. I've got to sing for people like Christine Gerke, who's one of my idols, of, you know, and she's one of the leading dramatic sopranos of the world. And I got to sing for her and had multiple coachings with her because she's, you know, she's available.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> Everyone's and, at home.
0: And did you reach out to her?
1: I did. You know, they. I reached out to one uh, Karen Cargill a big mezzo soprano from Scotland. Got to you know sing with some people from the Broadway world as well, uh, which has been super exciting because to have some yeah. you know, touching base again into the musical theater world, which I thought I would never return to, has been very fun. Um, but I think overall, what I've learned the most about my voice is that I'm kind of a vocal chameleon and it's fantastic. Yeah. I'm just singing stuff that feels good.
0: That is so important. Yeah.
1: Without being like, you only can sing this. You only can sing this. You can't, you know, I'm just like, but what if I can sing this and I can sing that (laughs) and I can't, you know, what, what, who's, who's to say? And now I feel like the whole, the whole business, both Broadway and opera, is going to be turned on upside it on top of its head when we all come back. And I, I was determined after my month of my, uh, you know, self pitying and sadness that I had. Um I was determined to make sure that when this is over, because it will there there will be an expiration date for it. Yes. Um I want to come out ready to go.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't want to have wasted for myself, I don't want to have wasted you know 12 months of nothing. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't want to lose it because I've already given up my music once before and I know what that's like to quit something that means the world to you. And then for it to come back gives it so much more meaning, and so I I'm thankful that I have that feeling of what it feels like to have lost my art, mm-hmm. um, so that I, I don't let it happen to me again.
0: Can you talk about that a little bit? Is that yeah. something you want to discuss? Yeah. Sure.
1: So um, when I was twenty when I was twenty three, I lost my dad to cancer, um, and I was so um. I was a caregiver pretty much since I was 18 for both my parents okay. um, and I was going on and off to school and trying things and then my dad got really sick and my mom got sick they got sick at the same time um, and so my dad passed away and then that was hard so I spent a year with my mom trying to you know figure out everything and then a year later she, he he passed from cancer a year later she was diagnosed with cancer and then she died six months after that dying it was so he, about a year and a half after my dad passed, my mother passed as well, um, and it was very much you know my, you know I'm very much a mama's boy, um, always have been, always will be. Uh, but you know it was it was challenging because yeah. being an artist, regardless of what it is, if it's you know on canvas or if it's on paper, on sheet music or if it's you know coming out of your mouth, um, it's a personal, it's deeply personal. You know, it's one of those things, and you know, as an artist, you know, that it's something you really can't explain how personal your art can be. Um, and it was just, I wasn't in a place where I could accept that, uh, those feelings. I couldn't accept those feelings. I wasn't ready to mourn like that. I didn't, because right. it meant that everybody really was gone. Um, so I turned it off and I started pursuing a business degree and doing a response, what I thought was going to be a responsible thing. I was working like 60, 80 hours a week, all kinds of jobs, everything. just to, And it was mostly just to bury everything I was feeling. And then I just, I got a lucky chance to go make music in again, and it found, it just found its way. It's always, It was always there, but it just found its way back out to the surface. Um, and it just thrilled me and i made it through westminster choir college then to usc um and then we got to this moment in time and i just knew after about three or four weeks of not no motivation whatsoever i felt that keep creeping in again or that feeling of it fading and i was like no i i can't do that again because that was the darkest those those that part of my 20s was the darkest time of my life Thus far, of course, yeah. um, and so, and it was because making music is just the light that you know guides me. It it truly does guide me, um, yeah. and my voice is attached to my story. And I know there's people that want have similar stories or can be touched by something that's inside my voice that um, is because of everything I went through. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to lose that. I just couldn't lose it again because I knew that. I was this close it could it could go one way or another you know we were all walking this and we still are a lot of people are really working on this tightrope where you're just not sure you know and and I can't blame anybody for that because that's completely valid you know and if you know at the end of this if you know music or whatever art it was wasn't you know doesn't happen for you then that's totally fine I think that's absolutely fine but for me it was just something I wasn't willing to lose because um, I lost it already. I lost it once for about two, two or three years. Before okay. I, I didn't sing for about three, almost three years.
0: What was it like, sort of taking those first steps into singing again after three <sighs> years of? I mean, it sounds like you, you made a decision that you were no longer a musician. Yes. And then, yeah. that changed. So, yeah, what was it, it like did. going back? So.
1: I was, you know, I was at a a smaller college here in California, in Northern California, and while I was there, I met the um, I met the choir director, uh, Dr. Amanda Quist, who to this day is the one who I credit to bringing me back to music. Is that woman Um, just phenomenal? And um, so I just ran into her randomly um, because I heard I heard the choir singing, and then she was like, "Oh, you should, you know, you sing. Maybe you want to join?" And I was like. Mm, no, nah, that's okay. It's <laughs> <so> I didn't want <laughs> to say. And then on the drive, it was actually it wasn't even like a like creeping step. There was literally no music happening before that, before that moment. It was almost like a divine intervention moment, you know, um, whatever that means for anyone. But for me, there was some kind of external force that was helping that precise moment. Okay. And so on the drive home, I thought all about that, and I was just like, you know the minute I heard them singing there was just a really, you know live singing because I hadn't been to a live concert or live you know anything live with music of course there's you know, music on TV and the radio or whatever but I didn't go to anything live and walking past that choir room and hearing them make music really just I think it just it that was what stirred it back up I was right. like oh and it was just kind of something where it just stirred up quickly because I think it had been waiting for that one little crack to happen and then it was just kind of shoot through and so I thought about it for a long time and then the next semester I thought about it I was like okay so I started you know listening more to a lot more music that I used to listen to a lot before my parents passed um like stuff I was working on or stuff that I was singing and I messaged her back and I was like you know what I would love to audition to be in the concert choir because I felt like it was like ah, this could be something that just fills time it's big enough I'm just going to be one of like 80 people in this choir it's not going to be that special um and so I sang for her and then she was like oh you know why are you not singing right (laughs) and I was like and then you know I I gave a very watered down version of why I wasn't singing and she's like okay I think she knew and to this day I laugh about it with her because I was like did you just know because every time I happen to walk by your office you're like magically having auditions for something I'd be walking by her office and she'd be like, oh, how about you just come in and sing a little bit? It's okay if you don't know it. We'll just sight read it. You know, I'll play along with you. And I'm like, every time, every time. And, you know, and I got the solos from that every time. And so it just was one thing built on another. And then she transferred out and went to Westminster. And I was still not a music major. That following year, I spent a lot of time just kind of reaching out to an old theater group I used to uh, perform with asking if they needed any volunteer work, you know, so I just try to be around some right. more live stuff happening. Because I left the school and she left because that, I didn't really feel like I belonged there anymore. And, you know, I, the theater group that I grew up performing with happened to be having their 25th anniversary. And so they did Hairspray the musical and they needed somebody to play Edna Turnblade the mother. And I was like, and it's, you know, it's always been a drag role. Um, and I was like, well, that's, why not? That's fun um and i mind you i hadn't been on a stage without a big choir or anything in years now probably three years now and this whole year dr quist had been emailing me being like are you singing just checking in are you singing you know sending me constant reminders of you know make sure you're still singing all this stuff um and i went through i did the musical and went through the rehearsals and did the performances and i realized It was during the performances and when I was on the stage and there was people in the audience and their reactions and I was like oh this is this hole that has been missing for the last three years. It was the best I felt since my mother passed away was performing on stage in a role um and I wrote an email back when that show closed I wrote an email back to Dr. Quiz and I was like you know I think I'm ready to pursue music like as a degree Mm -hmm. and full-time and (laughs) she emailed me back the next day with a whole list of everything I needed to do to apply. I went, found my, who I'm currently saying with my very first voice teacher, she was so thrilled that I wanted to get back to music. Cause she was, she kept, you know, she promised my mother that she would find a way to get me back into music, which I found out much later in life. But, wow. um, so she, but she let me find it on my own path. She hadn't had a conversation in her when she was in hospice care, um, with Dr. Llewellyn here, um, uh, letting her know, you know, will you please take care of my son? He needs, he just needs, he still needs guidance, um, was the words that she used. Um, and don't let him, don't let him lose music, is what she mm-hmm. told her. Um, and so she didn't know how to, she, of course, made that promise to my mother, but didn't know how to follow through with that promise. That moment when I told her that's what I wanted to do, her face just lit up, much like my own mother's would. And I think that was um a sign that I was doing the right thing because it was exact when she her face lit up it was like my own mother's face lighting mm. up.
0: That's amazing. So did you um were you already living with her when the pandemic started? I was
1: already living here okay. when the pandemic hit. Um but plan with the plans were to move on, but then right. those move on plans never happened. I have to say it's been it's been it's been a, um, I've had some wonderful beautiful things happen to me since being in quarantine um, even amongst all the very very tragic and ugly that's happening in our country and world right now um, and I you know and I've it's nice to find that balance within myself to be fully accepting and enjoy that I have some joy and not be um, shameful that I'm feeling some kind of joy and also being aware and informed and um, empathetic and sympathetic to the situations that are happening and um even though i can at the same time i could still experience my own personal joy trying to just do my best to spread as much love and light as i can because that's something i know i can control so
0: right well thank you so much
1: of course it's so good look at your face you're just so smiley i love it
0: (laughs) so if listeners want to find you and connect with you and Where can they do that?
1: I'm mostly active on Instagram, which is actually I go by my um, Samoan name, which is Fatu Sue, So it's F-A-T-U underscore S-U-E-S-U-E underscore tenor. Um, And I go by my Samoan name in all of my social medias and all of my performing um, uh, just as a tribute to my father. Funny story is I use Fatu because somebody once told me to change my I should... My name, my last name was uh, too hard to pronounce for the opera community. I was told that by a professor, yeah. So I came back and they're like, did you think of a stage name? And I was like, yeah, actually, I got rid of Justin and I'm just going by Fatu." (laughs) So I came back even more ethnic because that's what you were telling me is that my last name was too ethnic. I love this. Thank you so much. Much love to you.
0: You too. Bye. Bye. I think Fatou's story is inspiring in many ways it reminds me how powerful the arts can be that creative expression can be so deeply healing and emotionally stirring you know it it, he had to wait until he was ready to reconnect you know fatu explains very eloquently that he was not ready to accept that his parents were gone. And so he could not be creative during that time. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that Fatu shared with us how he reconnected with that part of himself when, when he was ready and how deeply uplifting creating music ultimately has become for him I think it's it's so inspiring that Fatu has learned to embrace himself and love himself for who he is and it's just such a great reminder for all of us that we do really need to examine the parts of ourselves that we are not comfortable with and learn how to be in conversation with them. And that that is really, I believe the only way to reach our full potential um, as creatives and as people. So thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Loose Leaf Notebook. I'm Julia Adolph and the music you are hearing is my orchestral work, Dark Sand Sifting Light performed by the New York Philharmonic with Alan Gilbert conducting. If you'd like to hear some more of my music, you can visit my website at juliaadolph.com or my YouTube channel, which also has video versions of all of these podcasts. Thanks again!